This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Welcome to this week's episode of the Everything Went Black podcast. It's with a great pleasure that I welcome back the Adams family. For anyone who's been listening to this show for any amount of time, or Necromaniacs, you will know that I have been a big supporter of these guys for quite a while, dating all the way back to The Deeper You Dig and last year's Hellbender film. They have brought a unique vision of horror to the world. This is not their first rodeo here on Everything Went Black, so go back and listen to their older episodes. This time around, we're uh, discussing their brand new feature, Where the Devil Roams. So check that out. Check out their older movies, buy their DVDs and Blu-rays, go and see these films in the theater if possible. If you like Everything Went Black, please follow the other horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. It's an elite group of podcasting professionals, elitists, if you will. Kicking off the week, we have Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666. Next up is Jackie Smith with Into the Necrosphere. Of course, Wednesday is Everything Went Black. Thursday, Necromaniacs, where I return with Jeff Kashid and Mike Scandato. We round the week out with Spitball Media. We take Saturdays off. Sunday, Carl Hikara deploys Soul Knox, a podcast for all things weird, esoteric, and macabre. Carl and I have been doing a collaborative uh, project called Darkness Weaves, and phase one of this effort has just wrapped up. Phase two starts immediately. The mission statement is to cover the work of Carl Edward Wagner. Phase one dealt with the short story collection In a Lonely Place. We're moving onward to other material by this obscure, sadly obscure author. Now lurking in the fringes of reality comes Iblis Manifestations, brought to you by Cheyenne of the great band Tribax. If you like the show, please follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We exist on X somewhat, threads, all that stuff. But if you want to contribute more, support to the show you can join our patreon for as little as one dollar a month you get bonus material for five dollars a month you get all the bonus material plus early access to the shows and for 25 dollars a month you can become a sponsor for your business your podcast your band or whatever project so you guys have been uh, very busy the last several months uh you've been all through europe and uh, you know, I follow you guys on all the social channels, and uh, I've been observing your your various uh, activities. So, how, how has it been? 
It's been great. I mean, every time we hit the festival trail, we meet so many cool people. It's sometimes I feel like we make films just so we can get to the festivals, you know? We're a touring band and it feels wonderful. You know, it's like we are just doing what we what we want to do, which is to travel to cool places, talk to like-minded people or non-like-minded people about art and music and um, and eating tasty food, even not tasty food. <laughs> so it's really fun. We're very lucky. Mike, you've probably been down to South America, right? No, no, never. Actually, that's one of the places that we've never been to. Oh, well, me too. Well, I'm about to go down to Argentina to a festival and um, present the film and be on a jury. So I'm pretty stoked about that. That's awesome. Yeah. So a lot of the European travel, is that the first one in your previous films, did you guys do a lot of stuff in Europe or is that a newer thing for uh, for where the, for the devil roams? We're doing more and more. So that's a great observation. We're finding that we're getting into Western Europe far more. I don't think the deeper you dig was, it hit a couple places, but now we're really on a circuit and that circuit's growing. And it's, um, you know, it really is just like band culture. You know what I mean? Like it, there's a network there. And once you kind of get into it, it, it really flows well. We yeah, it's, really, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, Mike. We, we were really turned on by the UK festivals this time around like we'd been to uk france and berlin and spain but this time we hit several in the uk and these towns and communities were so fucking cool yeah i mean they were just the nicest most enthusiastic people but they really came at the film like intelligently yeah. it was we made some great you know we'll definitely go back there and probably shoot one of the things you touched on, John, was, uh, you know, the idea of the film being like a band and going out on the road as being like the objective. And it comes to, I don't know, Mike Watt, I think, said something along those lines about how making a record is like a flyer for the live show. So is it? <laughs> it is. It's that's a oh man, Mike Watt. Yes, exactly. And don't pay to play, you know, and that's the other thing that's starting to happen is we're not paying to play like. We're getting invited to these festivals, so they'll pay for our travel and pay for our hotel. So it's really nice, and um, and we learn so much, you know. So thank you for sharing um, the screener of the new film, and uh, you know I spent some time with it, and uh, it's it's uh, you know I'm a fan of all your guys' work, and I have to say this has been a real. Um, I mean, I'll, I think all your all your films are great. This one is like a real step forward, in my opinion. Oh, very uh, cool. I couldn't tell whether you were going to say, uh, I, you know, I could, you because we're getting, yeah, I thought you could have either said this one, I don't know, guys, but, uh, you know, that's really nice that you ended the sentence with a step forward because thank you. Well, I mean, even, even from the, from the onset, the, the whole um, atmosphere of the film, uh, you know, with that, that great um, monologue, like the opening. Now, was that something that you was that written for the film or was that taken from somewhere? I couldn't place where that monologue came from that was delivered in the beginning of the film about Abaddon and like all that sort of stuff. Well, it's two nice stories put together. Um, first of all, Toby wrote that and the whole monologue is really important 
because it basically sets up the myth that then plays out in the movie. So like the kind of like conscientious watcher, if they pay attention to that, every single part of the movie falls into place then from there. Um, but the reason we were able to do it was because we were messaged on Instagram from a, a, a really terrific guy named Justin Julio, who said, hey, I love your movies. And if I could ever be in one, uh, it would be great. And um, so we were just talking to him and um, we love Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein. And in the original Frankenstein, there's an opening also like an intro. And the reason they did it for Frankenstein was because they were worried that the that audience at that time was going to be really scared and kind of put off by how brutal Frankenstein was for that crowd in that time. So we, because, you know, there's Frankenstein elements in this one, we're like, hey, it'd be great if, if Justin came out and delivered Toby's myth as, uh, as a nod to Frankenstein. And so it was a combination of, um, you know, just happy things coming together. And we, we drove up to Boston and filmed Justin up in his kitchen, actually. Really? And um, he worked his ass off and delivered a – I just think he's exceptional. I mean, right from the get-go, that was the thing that grabbed me was um, – it's like it was a difference. You know, there was like a certain uh, heaviness to the tone that mm. kind of set the, the tone for the rest of the film. You know, and what what does that guy do? Is he a writer or performer or like – He's never acted. He never really? acted before. Yeah. Um, he's been in bands yeah, I he's think he's been, a great, like, great singer. Yeah, he's been in bands, and um, he's a life artist. Like probably a lot of people we know, I imagine, are just sort of life. Hundred percent. Yeah, and those are the people we want to work with. People like <laughs> him who are like, "I'm a life artist. Can I fit into your movies?" And it was like, "Yes, you can absolutely fit into our movie. We're gonna write you a scene." So now, now that I know that 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 Toby, you created a myth for this uh, for this film, and you know, I, I'm quite fond of uh, you know folksy mythologies and esoterra and things like that. So what what what's the, uh, the you know what where did this come from? Like, what was the sort of background on this thing? You know, this whole movie taking place during the Great Depression is about a hurt people. It's like about denizens of the earth and you know citizens of the the dirt. I think and. Uh, these carnies are, are people who are just trying to 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 make a living in a in a tough time, and they I think they're they're outsiders. And we kind of loved the idea of spinning the idea of the fallen angel in this case Abaddon, and um, making him a protagonist. Well, it depends on how you see it. I mean, without spoiling too much to some in the family, perhaps the devil pulling strings from below is not the protagonist, but there is this love story about the devil who um, is un is pushed down into hell by this shiny God and he claws his way to earth and only makes it on earth disguised as a pauper, again, as one of the the unseen. And, uh, and he falls in love with a human and but of course humans die so we just had a lot of fun playing this with this mythology as like a love story about a devil and a human and then how that would tie into our family and and the and the thread of survival and um uh transcendence that happens throughout the film 
yeah, there's there's so much there that just completely resonated with me because you know I, I, that's some of my favorite stuff is like that John Milton Paradise Lost like Lucifer cast from heaven you know and the Nephilim and the Watchers and like all that sort of stuff and you even you you guys even reference uh, Gnosticism because the John your your character was reading a book about ancient Christians right and you know I mean we're really in you know we really love the idea because it's a great way to talk about humanity is to kind of bring the devil into play. Now the Gnostics brought the devil into play by saying, when you think about it, the devil brought us knowledge and the devil didn't lie about anything. The devil brought everything that he said he was going to bring or it said everything it was going to bring. And so the Gnostics like to turn everything upside down. And I think that that's really interesting, you know, and it's really cool. And, um, it's a good way to talk about these characters because much like kind of the United States or maybe the world, but we, we know the United States because we all live here. It's in, a, it's in a real time right now that is a lot like the Depression where the difference between rich and poor is now this huge spot. And I think the devil is a fun character to use because he is, like you just mentioned, Paradise Lost. He is stuck down in the ice in hell. And it's kind of like, I don't think earth is hell or life is hell, but we're all stuck here dealing with heavy duty. It's beautiful, but it's brutal. You and touched so- on something important here when your idea that, you know, earth itself is not hell, but the uh, the, the imaginary world like that, that sort of, um, you know, that Carl Jungian collective consciousness that we all connect to uh, and we make heaven or hell but we exist in this kind of material world, you know? And mm-hmm. the thing that connects that idea with this film was like how there's a carnival atmosphere <clears throat> and then there's a, um, you know, some people are, are, are you know, working the, the crowd, but then there's Mr. Tips who is actually wielding dark sorcery. Yeah. You know, so there's this combination of, the material world and this kind of like esoteric imaginary world sort of coming together in the story. And I thought that was like brilliant, you know, and it, oh, cool. it, it comes to get, and there's also, I mean, I, I don't think this is probably not like a, um, like a, a, a direct uh, sort of thing, but I'm a huge fan of uh, Thomas Ligotti's work. And there's um, the idea of like material and this like mechanical force, like driving things forward. And I think the Mr. Tips character connects to that idea a little bit, how there is this unseen uh, dark energy. Yeah. So we I think I hit something that. by when you just, yeah. So we'll, we'll, you know, expand on that if you will. Well, un, un, you know, unseen magic on un, like, that's what we did in Hellbender too, was the whole idea that, yeah, we're all here and the wind blows and the leaves are shaking and it's all cool, but there is a magic to it. And it's like the people that can actually utilize it and scratch the surface and find that magic and begin to manipulate it. That's really fascinating stuff. I mean, you can't deny that everything everything that we see and everything that we hear is magic. We take it for granted, but it's really fun. And we love that in our films is to have our characters be the ones that do see the, the unseen, you know, and they, they, but they never, it's never easy to play with. It is playing with fire. Yeah. Yeah. There's a consequence to it. And we are fallible. So when you start messing around and you start messing with fate and you start messing with destiny, 
inevitably, just like every Faustian deal, you pay a price. Now, that, the, the guy who played Mr. Tips, like, where'd that guy come from? That guy was intense, man. He's cool, right? That's Sam Rod. He was in our third film, The Shoot. He's an excellent actor who I know from years ago from the voiceover world. Um, and he and lived, the rock and roll world. Oh, and you know him from, yeah. Yeah. Um, he lives out in LA and we were just ready to work with him again. Um, he was, he was phenomenal. When, when that guy showed up on screen, I was like, all right, this guy's cool. Like we got, <laughs> got the hat, you know, yeah. it looks like he's in the bad seeds or something like yeah. that. You know? and I was like, oh, this, this guy's, I just couldn't, couldn't stop watching him, man. Those eyes and his voice and everything, man. We agree. He just, the camera loved him and he showed up and delivered, you know, he just went there. We were figuring a lot of shit out also like overnight. He showed up and we were still figuring out the mo- the, the poem in the beginning and, and what that mythology was about. And then we even changed some key words about the devil and God that we had to have him send us, you know, voiceovers for as we were continuing to like really understand the mythology. But that was partly because he came and he delivered such a great character that it was like, oh, suddenly we saw so much because we had written things. But then when we saw it being delivered by a real actor and Sam, it was like, oh, my gosh, we got to move fast here to to work with his excellence. Yeah, he's he, like, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Toby. Oh, no, I, he, I, something I love about his character is he really helps nail down that this is a very complicated family. I mean, they do horrible, horrible things. But you, we, our goal is to that, that people will still find a way to love them, you know, for their traumas or whatever. And he's someone who they, they, they enact some terror to you know and whether he deserves it or not and so he he's a very important device in the complexity that we wanted to build about our characters yeah and this this time around um specifically in this movie all of the characters seem really fleshed out like the backstories you know and uh you know the the, the world war one trauma um that sort of thing and oh real real quick about world war one and the norwegian guy <laughs> that unfortunately got murdered because he was mistaken for being German was was excellent because I think if I'm not mistaken I think Norway was neutral in World War One. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> and it's, yeah, exactly. It's just so funny, and it's funny because that really gets a lot of laughs in Europe. Yeah, yeah, because they understand. They like, get it. Yeah. They're like, oh my god, you know, it's just too funny to all of them. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you guys made a point on Americans being so ignorant in their minds. It's like it's a great joke for the European <laughs> audience. Because you even made a point of flashing to the Norwegian flag yeah. too. Yeah, which yeah. I thought was really. I'm like, oh, this is going to mean something. I knew this is <laughs> you know a reason for that. And the, the crazy thing too is like the first time I went to Scandinavia like years ago. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, Sweden, we're going to go to Norway. You know, we got to go. Do- I didn't realize how far away Norway was from Sweden or even how far away Finland was from Sweden, oh, God, and how God. distant everything really is. You know, did you guys make it up to Scandinavia? I, I don't recall that made it up there. Headed back in three weeks. I've never. Oh, okay. been, yeah, but we're going to Denmark for a festival. And that's cool because it's our first festival into that part of Western Europe. So th- we're like, we really wanted to break into that zone. So this is very exciting for us. Yeah, I, l- I love it up there. It's like very, um, people are very polite, you know, and, and also uh, the cities are beautiful. And this time of year oh, is yeah. like great. And I remember um, like 
I think it might have been the first time I went to Finland. We took uh, like a the overnight ferry mm. up into Finland. So it's like uh-huh. this gigantic ocean liner that goes up into into that area. And I just remember it's overnight too. And it's we did it in the winter, like November. Awesome. So it was black, like darkness, you know, no no daylight. And I was like, I'm going to stand outside as long as I can and take this whole thing in. And I just remember I had like Burzum playing in like a headset. And I was like looking out into the the darkness of the night and thinking about werewolves and Vikings and all this crazy stuff. It was such an intense experience, man. Of course. that's We can't wait to get there for that exact same experience. And by the way, since we're talking about all that, our favorite band right now is Slow Mosa, which is coming out of... Uh, I think Norway or Sweden. Which I feel one like is you it? say Sweden. Maybe it's Sweden. Yeah. Slow Mosa. If you get a chance, check out Slow Mosa. Incredible. I, I've checked out some of the band, like uh, Pigs, 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 mm. Pigs. Yeah, check them out. They're really cool too. So Slow Mosa. Yeah. They kind of have a big business vibe. And kind of like early um, Queens of the Stone Age, but um, with a vocal twist. Like his singing style is exceptional. They're exceptional, I think, you know. Uh, they've had Slow big on us lately well speaking of music let me ask you a question john um the, you know you did a lot of the, the film scoring in this too right you guys collaborated you know i recognize some of the voices on there and uh are you do you listen to the jesus lizard at all have you were you ever a fan of them you know, Dwayne Dennison or oh, any of that so kind of stuff. I was uh, when I was in college jesus lizard all my friends like jesus lizard so i heard them a bit but I don't know them as well as I probably would like to. First of all, I love the name, you know, and all yeah. my friends were always trying to turn me on. If if I'm, I feel like they're angular. They're very angular. And yeah. um, and I should probably go back and listen to Jesus Lizard. Are they kind of like big black kind of and stuff like that a little bit? If you took like, like without the drum machine and it's like more, um, all right, when I listen to the Jesus Lizard, I hear like a more, american version of like the birthday party or something like that. oh okay you know what i mean so there's like a crazy guys like singing you know making noises and jumping around and everything and then there's this like like really cool guy with like a good hair like playing like a strat you know or or like a telly or some sort of old you know uh fender mustang or something like yeah. that with like with like that real surfy like twangy right. reverb guitar kind of thing going on that's what I picture, like when I, because when I think back of like in college, my buddy's trying to turn me on to the Jesus Lizard. For some reason, it never took, but I should probably go back and listen because I was pretty close-minded back then. When, when um, there's set there's sections of the movie where some of the stuff that the the soundtrack, the score of music reminded me a little bit of that, and I was yeah. like, I bet I bet John listens to like Jesus Lizard or whatever. But it's cool that you don't, you know. I'm gonna have to now. Yeah. I got to send you, John, just finished side A of the soundtrack today. And I love the opening song. It's really like cool and heavy. And I'm going to send it to you. That's awesome. I didn't yeah. have time before this. Did I, did I send you my latest thing I put out? This uh, that um, It's like a solo thing I did called uh, Begotten Sons. Did I send that to you guys? You sent me three songs. You sent us three, I think, three songs back in When we were traveling. In May they that were, great. were really great. Oh, yeah. I think those were super heavy. Yeah, these are demos. This is uh like this is the final EP that came out. I'll send I'll send you a copy of that. You can check it out. It's just you know whatever, just for fun. You know, I made it for fun. Like it was one of those things where like Mm -hmm. no budget. I just wrote the songs in the winter and like I ran into an old drummer 
that I played with decades ago in Providence, Rhode Island. And I was like, you know what? I should see if he wants to play drums on these things. So I just like hit him up. I'm like, what do you think? He's like, all right, cool. Let's do it. We just got together over a weekend. We recorded it. I recorded the vocals at home. And then I sent it to a guy to mix it and it's done. And I put it out on Bandcamp. <laughs> that's, I think that that's the, the way. No, no one asked for it. No one wanted it. It just, here it is. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. I think that's the way. Yeah, I love all that stuff. That's that's the the beauty of the of, I guess the age we live in is that you can do things like that pretty easily. You really can. Yeah. Another another thing I wanted to ask you guys about was um, you know, there's that story, the monkey's paw, that has been sort of redone over and over and over again. Um, you know, even even uh, like Pet Cemetery is sort of a <clears throat> uh, realization of that age old story that probably started. In, as some folk legend and there are there are moments in uh in where the devil roams that reminds me of a of a kind of a cautionary tale like um monkey's paw-esque thing are you guys familiar with that with that that story or that legend or i need to be reminded i know that i've heard it but but and it's funny because monkey paw used to be weed soaked in formaldehyde okay All but right. so so what is the tale uh again what's the moral or this this uh this story kind of pops up a lot in the 70s because it was all like post Vietnam era stuff and I think that is what reminded me because there's like some anti-war like post traumatic you know PTSD thing going on in this film right but the monkey's paw is like someone gets killed or dies horribly and a loved one wants to bring them back so there's some dark sorcery involved you know either in Stephen King's case the pet cemetery you know in or some witchcraft or some thing. But when they come back, they're not exactly the same. They're different. Right. So right. it there's like that whole conflict between like the natural world and like your your desires. And I guess like, you know, the human ego wanted to fix things. And that was like, you know, especially as the movie progressed, like that was like another thing that I took away from it was just like letting nature kind of do its thing. And when man steps in the way, all these horrible things seem to happen, you know? Yes. We, I don't know. Uh, yeah, know, that's just my experience with it, I guess. We love that. And that's what's fun to us. That's why she, the daughter, is dressed in white for the whole movie with her white wings, and she's dressed in white. And then the last scene, she's dressed in black not to just to ask the question who's is she doing the devil's bidding or is is as she tricked the devil and and what's fun about this movie is or at least it's fun to me is that we don't answer the question that you just brought up like yeah. we end it with the beginning of it oh my god we're, we're back like well i just spoiled it like if you haven't seen the movie but whatever it's like um it's like we we don't go on to the point after Pet Cemetery. Like the whole all of Pet Cemetery is about after the last scene in our movie. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. You know, and and that's really fun to us because you know it's like the same thing that we did with Hellbender. We have the the daughter walk away going to look for bass strings, but everyone's kind of like, wait, I don't I don't quite understand what happened. Is that bad or is that good? And it's kind of like I, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, because that's what's fun about it because it's disconcerting or the deeper you dig which has a similar right. sort of 
there's a there's a blending um, at the end of the deeper dig that people can say, well, um, you know, you might like it or you might not. Right. That that's still my second favorite film by you guys. Like this this is uh, where the Devil Rooms is is number one right now. Oh, it's so great that you say that. Can't thank you enough. I mean, yeah. No, this is. Uh, I think we're we're definitely. I'm. I'm. We're going to cover this on Necromaniacs too, because I think Jeff Jeff is going to like. I didn't share it with anyone, just to let you guys know. But when it's when it's out, because I think shortly it shows up on Shutter, right? No, um, <clears throat> it's not going to be on this one's not a Shutter film. It, it's going to have a theatrical release in a couple of days on the on November third, and then November seventh, it's out on like video on demand. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll try to find it in a theater somewhere. I think that'd be really cool. Um, it's going to be in Manhattan um, on the third. Yeah, on the third, John and Zelda are going to be there. It has two uh, two screenings at the Alamo Draft House in Manhattan. Oh. Oh, okay. On November yeah. 3rd. Wow, okay. Maybe I'm I'm probably going to go to that one then. That would be cool. One sold out. So if you get a chance, check it out. It play, uh, it plays all week. But oh, it does? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. It plays cool. like the 2nd to the 8th <clears throat> at Alamo. Okay. But John and Zelda will be there for the 7 and 9.30 shows on the 3rd. I, I, I want to say it would be great to see this film in a theater uh, just because of how you know cinematic it looks and the atmosphere and you know, the shots of the trees and, you know, the color and the lack of color and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to make an effort to go check it out for sure. Great. Yeah. It's very fun to look like I had looked at the whole movie on a little screen, the size of what I'm looking at you right now. And then suddenly we show up in Canada for our premiere and I was like, Holy Christ. It was, (laughs) (laughs) there it is like fucking huge. And it's terrifying because when you're looking at everything in a tiny little screen, you suddenly you're looking at a big screen and you're like, Oh my God, I really hope that I didn't miss something, you know, because wow, it's unforgiving those big screens, but it, it really played well. It's beautiful. I saw one mistake that I won't tell you what it is, and it's very funny. But um, uh, if you see it, let me know. There are a couple mistakes. Is there a couple? I saw one. I saw I saw another with like Zelda's beret. Sometimes it's on the right side. Sometimes oh no, so it was a continuity. I mean mistakes like like there's a microphone in one of the shots. (laughs) Oh wow. Yeah, I but no one said anything about it yet, so it's pretty fun to me. It's like, okay, cool. I can't wait till somebody's like, wait a minute, what is that? <laughs> one one of my other favorite parts of the film was the interaction with the uh, the seventy five cent room. Actually, <laughs> yeah. that's our neighbor. That was so. That's important. your neighbor. That's yeah. awesome. That it's like that that reminded me. I mean, I, I love David Lynch, and and you guys, your films have do not have a Lynchian vibe to it, but that one scene has like like a Twin Peaks kind of like, you know, that that argument between 75 cents a night or 75 cents per person per night is like yeah. something out of like Twin Peaks. And even the old lady, your neighbor, reminds me of a character from one of from that, that show, you know? She's genius in it. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that scene because we love that scene. But it's funny that it troubles people because everyone's like, why didn't she kill her? That's what everyone asks. And it's like, yeah. That exactly why we wrote the scene is to not kill her, like because of that, like undone bow, you know. See, now that was a question I had too, because you know I can see in in Toby's face, like the way that she was, you know, going through that role, like the acting was there was like a conflict going on of like, hmm, should I take this lady out or should I let her live, you know? Yeah. And there was a moment when 
in the aftermath of that where I was like, oh, there's going to be a cut back to her with her a big hole in her head or something like that, you know? I think I think Maggie feels like she's embarrassed by her lack of education. I think it's almost like self-punishment that she's like, I almost I haven't earned this killing because I can't fucking count 75 three times. I'm not going to count 75 three times, you know? So she's like, I think she, it's almost like she's punishing herself for not, um, for not being educated enough. But you did say something that's true. So you're completely aware. Um, We also filmed that so that we had an escape hatch later to use that same character for body parts. Oh, okay. Uh, So we We set that that up. So that if we need body parts later, we can come back and she's our neighbor. So we could just get her to come back and we would do exactly what you said, which is to show her chopped up and missing body parts. So that like, but it turned out that we didn't need her. So we kind of liked that. It was like an undone bow. I got to say too, the gore in this film was, was pretty awesome by the way, you know, like the gore, it was uh, very visceral, you know, and and there was like a, a real sense of like, you know, this like meat sort of, you know, just feel to everything, you know, it was ugly and it, it was done well, I thought, you know. Thank you. We worked hard on the gore. Nothing like the teeth of a saw, you know, just a, a rusty saw. And we have plenty of those around here. And we had seen a lot of really great movies. We had noticed on the festival circuit with Hellbender that those movies that were doing excellent gore, uncut away stuff so that you had to watch and, but it's really done artistically, like uh, like the sadness did great. I don't know if you saw the sadness. Oh, yeah. Yep, I did. Like the violence in it was really well done. To, and and then we also had seen a movie called... Um, Megalomaniac. Oh, Megalomaniac. Was, Have you seen was, that? No, I haven't seen that one. It's out now. you got to watch it. Okay. Me- if you like... Yeah. Megalomaniac. It's, it's hardcore. It's very mean. And then the other one that we saw that was mean and brutal was... Um, the Golden Bear? No, The Golden Glove. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one, yeah. That's based on a true story, actually. Correct, right. Yeah. And the scenes in it, like, are te- like I like when people are like, oh, should I go see it? I'm like, well, I didn't tell you to go see it. Like, the, you know, remember that I didn't recommend it. But I, me and Zelda saw it together, and we both were like, we need to make a movie that also stinks like that stinks. Yeah, that stinks. That movie, you can, you feel like you need to take a shower after you watch that movie. You know what I mean? It's like you can feel the 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 rot and just decay and nastiness in that film you smell like you smell like bad schnapps filterless cigarettes and rot yeah you know that the guy who played the main character is some famous german actor too who's like this handsome guy too yeah i know isn't that crazy he's like this adonis and he's so good in that role it's incredible you know the um i feel like when when you're saying oh i can't I didn't tell you to go see it. Like, that's how I feel about the movie Skinner Marink that came out earlier this year. It's like that one, I loved it, but I will never, ever tell anyone to see it. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, for, it's the perfect movie for me, but right. that's me. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'll watch a black screen for hours and make things up in my head, you know? And, uh, yeah, my girlfriend was like, I can't believe you like that movie. It's like, I, did, I, I, I tried to watch it and I just couldn't get through it. And I don't understand what you see in that movie. But I'm like, I didn't tell you to watch it. You know, I went by myself that night to watch it. (laughs) That's what we are finding that we love about the horror community is there's a place for movies like Where the Devil Roams. And there's a place for movies like 
Terrifier. And there's a place for a movie like The Golden Glove. And it's like, you know, there's these niches, niches, however you say the word, in the horror community that allows people to make, I think, really interesting movies like Skinamarink. You know, and just, you know, we don't all have to watch Friday the 13th over and over and over and over, which is a cool movie too, but we don't have to watch it. There's, there's these great niches that are out there right now. Um, I think uh, um, When Evil Lurks is going to be the next um, kind of fabulous niche movie. I've been looking forward to that one, actually, because um, the, the filmmaker's other movie before this, uh, Terrified, was another Sorry. great movie. And I can't wait to see uh, see this one. That's been I have it marked on my calendar when it comes out. I think it's the um, it comes out today, I think. And I Red think, Rooms yeah. is the other one that's that we've been on the circuit with it is uh, everyone's just like, oh, my God, you know, Red Rooms. So I'm going to do in Argentina, I'm going to do a panel with Damien Runya. So I'm so excited about that with him and and the female director I really admire Prano Belly Bond who did Censor. Yeah, Censor so is great. Yeah, we're gonna I'm gonna get to like sit with them and talk horror. I'm I'm just so excited. Yeah, Censor was another one. That was one of my favorite movies of the year actually. When we you know we do these lists at the end of the year and um and that one like had like uh it it, it talked about that that the, the video nasties era, which is like a fascinating uh, study in like censorship and repression in the UK. And um, it was such a well-done film. It was effective. Um, you know, one of my favorite actors, Michael Smiley is in it, you know, and, and uh, it was just a great movie. That's cool. That you're getting to meet her though. You know, it's great. It was, it looked really great too. It had a nice, it had a real kind of retro feel to it. Yeah, totally. Um, So, in the in the hierarchy of films that you guys have done, you know, ha, are you happy with this? Because I think it's great. Is it is it something you know you're going to look back on and be like, this is like you know, I know when you when you're in a band, your most recent record is always your favorite one. So, you know, how do you see this fits in in the other in your other work? Thanks, Mike. Yeah, great question. I you want to go first? You no, I want to hear you. I say. I'm really happy with. Um, the film, this film really felt like it wanted to be made. I feel like we really stretched new artistic visual muscles with this one, which um, I think is important to do. You know, it's like I never, it always drives me crazy when people, let's say talk like in the context of music, when people are like, oh, I went to a concert, but then they didn't play any of the songs I like. It's like, <laughs> fuck what you want. They're, they're artists. They need to like, you know, be creative and try new shit. So that's so in this case, I think we really um, we really kind of cracked uh, the viscera. I mean, it cracked the the fascia of what we had done before and we're trying new things. I'm very happy with it. I love I love the film we made. I miss Maggie. Um, I'm I, I just I'm, I'm very happy with how it stands in our arsenal of films for sure. I absolutely love it. It's definitely the best movie we've ever made. And I would say by far, but also everything has its own legs, like you just said. Um, so it really just, but as, as a family that just made a movie and we've seen it so many times now and we've seen it with audiences and we've gotten both accolades and we've gotten criticism. So it's not like we're like virgin souls on this anymore. Um, it's, 
it, first of all, it was beautiful to make with the girls. So like the memories of making it were only gorgeous. And um, I love it. I oh, think there's a there's a cameo by Lula in this Lulu. Yeah, Lulu kicks yeah. ass in this one, and so everything about it. Yeah, we just I just love it. It's definitely the best thing we've ever made. And what was nice about this one was we have learned a lot. Um, the 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 most we ever learned in the past was with a movie that we did that wasn't good, and we it was so painful that we learned like basically super painful lessons. That, that helped push us da- further down the road because there was so much like fucking pain in a, a movie, you know? This one we're learning and it's not painful. It's, it's, it's like we're learning, it's like a positive learning instead of like, uh, I don't know, like the carrot and the stick. This one's not the stick, this one's the carrot. <laughs> well, Mike, what do you, I mean, you're someone who's, who has a long, you know, um, line of being creative and doing new music and do album new albums and you know all all the stuff you're doing what do you think about <clears throat> the importance of just not not riding on your laurels what well, i think it's clear because this film i think all your movies are different and that's what i really like about it you know what i mean like they're once again with music there's some bands out there like Slayer, you know, who make records that are great, but they all sound kind of the same. You know, Cannibal Corpse is another band that's like that. It's like, you know what you're going to get. You know, the Swans, you have no idea what re- each record's going to sound like. You know what I mean? And what and what you touched on, Toby, when you go to see the Swans play, you don't, you're not even aware of their, I mean, they're playing stuff that is kind of familiar, but not familiar. It's new, it's old, whatever. Like it's, it, they, you don't want to hear hits from them. And I think that, the Adams family films are like like a Swans record or something because it's like right. every record, every movie different. You don't want there's no fan service. There's no like we this worked in this film or you know, maybe there are things, but for as a viewer, I don't see like any recycling of ideas or any like or anything like that. And each film stands on its own. They all have very different atmospheres and very different ways of telling the story. And um and I think that's one of the things that I really look forward to whenever you guys have a new film coming out is that it's okay. What, what's this going to be about now? Like this, you know, what kind of film is this going to be? And you guys say that it's a period piece, but in some ways I almost feel like it's an alternate reality piece. Like in some ways, oh, neat. I cool. love that. That's you know what I mean? Like I might steal that shit. Yeah, like it feels like like this is like a, a multiverse version of like the 1920s or something. You know what I mean? It because it it's like it it doesn't feel like modern times, but it doesn't feel like it's trying to be in the 1920s. And I know that is probably contrary to like what your intention was. Nope, actually, you nailed it on the head again. You, you're very you're nailing a lot of like little tiny details that were important to us, which was not to make an authentic piece. Like everybody there, like even like we talked about Justin Julio opens the thing up. He's got all these modern piercings and things like that. And it's like, Hey, we want people to look at and be like, wait, that's, that's not period piece. And, and, and say exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You know, the tattooed people. Yeah. 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 So it's very interesting. Like very, like, there's like a lot of like this, like, you know, like uh, misdirections, like on that, you know, it's like, okay, this feels like something from post-World War One, you know, but it really, maybe it's post-World War One 
in a different reality than I live in. You know what I mean? And, yeah. I, and I love that, you know, and that's like one of the coolest things about the movie is like, it's like a, a complete, completely make believe in fantasy, you know, but then there's like the reality elements of it, you know, like the, the, ta- the tactile, like tangible elements of the film, you know, kind of superimposed with this like dream world. And that's like the coolest thing about the movie, I think. Ooh, I, uh, thank that's you. So cool, yeah. I'm, I'm loving this. We should, we should talk every day. This is great. <laughs> um, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention one thing about bands doing the same thing over and over and over. And I know I mentioned this band every time I talk to you, but I do kind of need to mention it because they, I find myself always going back to them. And it's not like I'm just some kind of groupie that, that is blind and stubborn about how much, but black flag was, you know, basically to me invented American hardcore. And then when everybody jumped into the hardcore bandwagon, they, they invented dirge and they came out with my war. And then when everybody was kind of like, Oh man, yeah, maybe we should, that might be cool. Then they go into slip it in. And then they go into family man with spoken word. And, and Henry even said at some point, he's like, you know, the thing about Greg Ginn was he was, he, every album had to be different. He was like, he would put out one thing, gain, you know, a whole bunch of followers everybody come to the next show and all the music was different yeah no totally i i i mean black flag i mean i have two black flag tattoos you know i got the bars and i got like the uh you know the uh, everything went black like shears you know Ooh, so it's nice. like yeah well that yeah yeah, that had, yeah there you go i mean and, yeah it's and, and like i feel i always feel like greg ginn was like the ultimate like sort of anti-social guy who wanted less people to like his band you know like yeah. it's like he kept alienating more and more people but by doing that the music became more and more interesting you know and even like um in my head is like my favorite record by them and that's the one no one likes like everyone right. thinks that's a garbage record you know i love it though but you know what's fascinating like i've been i've i like have friended like uh instagram accounts that are about black flag and um so i read all the comments because they'll put like in my head up and, and we listened to a great um, interview with Kira recently. And, um, and, but what you find out is the same thing with horror is people like you and I like that. Whereas, you know, a whole different bunch of punks want to hear gimme, 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 you know? And so it's like, um, and that makes us feel more comfortable because it's, it's, there are people out there who are ready for the next thing, even if it's got a big twist on it. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's funny, like even like just punk in general, like I, I, I remember when I was a kid, I, I learned certain things like the guy with all the gear, you know, you'd meet people that were like, you know, they got like the, the Mo, you know, and the green yeah. hair and, and like, you know, and, the Chuck and, they, and then there was like the dude who just looked like he worked at like a Kinko's, you know what I mean? <laughs> And that's the guy who was into the next thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's yeah. the guy who was like, oh, yeah, I have, like, my discharge records and whatever, but I'm into this new thing now that's, like, yeah. completely the next level stuff. And I and I always thought, like, like subtlety and just being not, – not being so obvious is always, like, a good thing, you know? And I kind of – that's how I feel about what you guys are doing, you know? It's like you're not, you're not like, defining yourself by any of these films and by, do, by not doing that like the whole future is wide open to do basically whatever you want, you know? 
And I, I actually would like to see you guys do another another sort of non-horror film too, you know, like a drama, you know? Oh, that's really nice of you to say. I don't think anyone said that ever. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. That is cool. Hey, do you know, um, I've asked you this before, do you know, they were on SST. Do you know um, Blind Idiot God? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Andy One of those guys Hawkins. lived in New York for a while, right? Yeah. So yeah. Andy Hawkins, his, his brother was a good friend of mine in college. And those guys were so neat because the, he, you know, his like favorite musician was Mozart and Bach. And, you know, they, they were putting so many different things and you, sometimes you could go to their shows and you'd never know what you were going to get. Um, yeah. I figured you might know them. Oh yeah. One of my favorite SST bands is uh Saccharin Trust. Oh, great. Dude. They, yeah. Like once again, a band that you really had no idea what their records are going to sound like. Sometimes it'd be this cool jazzy like sort of thing. But then it'd be like this, like super emotional, like outpouring, and those are the ones I liked. I like the ones where you can tell the guy is just like tearing his heart out and feeling all this emotion, you know. And uh, but I was always fascinated by that whole era of music because it was such a mixture of things, you know. And then you can yeah. have Sacker and Trust tour with Black Flag, who are like right. just like the ultimate expression of like intensity, and have all of these things, these different energies performing on a tour together is like. Something you just don't see anymore. You know, that's not how things are put together these days, you know? That's what Mike Watt was. We listened to a great interview with Mike Watt, and he was basically saying back when, you know, when the, the Minuteman and Sacred Trust and Black Flag were all playing out in Southern California, it was, there was no, like, homogenous sound. Everybody wasn't playing Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. You had the Minutemen singing Ice Machine, and you had Sacred Crust do, uh, Sacred Crust, Sacred Trust doing their thing. And it's like... Um, you know, that was punk because everybody showed up and did what they wanted to express. And I think that that is so badass. You know, things did get homogenized and, you know, put in boxes and stuff like that. But um, that was that was that was a really cool time. Yeah, I know, like some of the tours that we do, it's like, you know, it's like every band has like a, a similar sound in some ways. And it's like it gets, you know, after like the second week, I usually just like, you know, we play our set. And if, depending on where we're going on in the bill and I'll just go and like go to Denny's or something like that afterwards. Cause I've mm -hmm. seen it all like so many times over and over and over again. And it's not even like the bands are bad. I just get tired of the same thing over and over again. You know? Yeah. I remember, you know, here's a funny one. When I, the first time I saw black flag was actually in New York city and they hadn't come they were doing damaged and, um, but they were starting to play some new stuff. And the Minutemen played, I mean, um, Meat Puppets played before them. And the crowd fucking hated them. Oh, yeah. And this was a huge turn on for me because they didn't give a shit. And New York, the punks at that time were pretty aggressive. And um, they were throwing shit at them and fights were breaking out. But the Minutemen, I mean, the Meat Puppets just kept playing. <laughs> yeah, like, no, you gotta like, oh, love great. it. This is great. Everybody's really pissed off. So this is really wonderful piece of art. We'll just keep playing. And Black Flag waited until the Minutemen, you know, played for way too long, and the crowd was super angry. <laughs> and I remember thinking, this is awesome. Like, yeah, that's that's what it's all about, you know. It was. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for your time, guys. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to this film getting out there and seeing what other people think about it. And um. You know, I'm excited. I'm probably going to watch it again. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. And I can't wait to for what's coming up for you with tunes. And uh, well, that's exciting. Yeah, you're going to send some tunes, right? I'm going to send you the, the that solo thing I did, Begotten Please. Sons. 
And uh, it's been a, I got to be honest with you guys, it's been a little bit of a struggle this last year, not, not creatively, but like on the, uh, the business side of things, you know, like a lot of um, things have been canceled for us. A lot of like, uh, you know, kind of um, misdirections, you know, but I think with the new record coming out next year, it'll be a little bit easier to do things. So, so that's good, you know? So we look forward to it. It would be great to see you live. Absolutely. That'd be fun as shit. Normally I would have a million options to tell you when you can see us live. But like I said, these, these last, you know, 12 months has been like very, very difficult, you know, I'll be like, Oh, well here, I'll send you our schedule here. You are playing here, here and here, you know, but right now it's been like, we've been very more really selective about what we've been doing just because of like, I mean, you probably know, like when you tour like too much, sometimes uh, you have to like, it's a diminishing return at times. So we've been kind of being more like selective about the types of things we do. And as a result of that, we've been kind of like, selected out of a lot of things so <laughs> yeah but anyway well it'll turn around oh yeah no i'm confident it's gonna be fun yeah, yeah no it's gonna be good all right all right guys well have a good weekend and uh i'm looking forward to uh to, to checking this out on the big screen next week thanks mike peace mike thanks right, take care now bye-bye Bye. I'm